It is not an individual um, uh, isolated person doing it. There is no heroism there in, in uh, going it alone. Um, that's just foolishness. That's not admirable. Um, and so when we find uh, Paul making overtures again and again in the church, in all of his letters you will see him begging them to pray for him. You will see them. He see him anxiously awaiting renewed fellowship with them. You will find him wanting to minister to them. And the letters themselves are a testimony to the fact that he con- sustained a commitment to them, um, even if he was absent at another church, another region, or in prison. He was still committed to them and to ministering to them as God allowed. And so that was the the environment of the Christian walk. And while we can very quickly take verses 16 and following and say, well, this is my personal interest, that the, that the fruitfulness of the Spirit is there in my life, I have to live this out, he makes it very evident very quickly that, that uh, that's in the context of the body of Christ. And so when we start avoiding the body of Christ, we have to start asking ourselves, well, how can I effectively be fulfilling this work of the Spirit when I'm not carrying my load for the church? When I'm not bearing their burdens, when I'm not praying for them, when I'm not um, ministering to them, I'm not seeking to increase their knowledge and their faith. Um, and there are lots of ways to do that outside of preaching and teaching. The idea that preaching and teaching is the only way we increase the knowledge of Christ and our faith in Christ um, is nearsighted. Um, it's myopic to think that, that uh, that's the only ways to do that. And so, um, what prevents us from humbly doing our part in the church, carrying our own load and bearing each other's burdens? Well, it's pride. that We keep coming back to that over and over again, it seems like. And uh, he has talked about that again in verse 3. If you think you're something, when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. So examine yourself. Make sure your work is in the Spirit, not just to your benefit, to your accolades, but rather for the benefit of the body of Christ, that you're doing something for them, and not, which is very different, like I said last week, to the modern mentality of they come into church and say, what can you do for me? It's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is what can you do for the Lord here? That's the question. What can I do for the Lord here? Um, and he's given us some ideas. Now, there is one... Now, I've made statement that you ministry is beyond the teaching of the Word. There is ministry beyond that, and uh, I do not want to diminish it. And even as we go into the next passage, our passage for tonight, that might seem to emphasize that we know that there is certainly value in it, but it is not the end of the church. It is one of the mechanisms by which we uh, minister to one another, and the Bible makes it very clear that in the instruction, do not let many of you be teachers. So obviously God intends for the majority not to be teachers, and therefore that ministry is of value and uh, should be honored and as well within the church. But let's, uh, before we get into Ephesians 6, 6, Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you now for your, this word before us. And as we get into its study, we pray for your spirit's direction and uh, that 
you might work in our hearts and minds uh, to lead us in your truth. And we thank you for it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to chapter 6, verse 6, and um, we uh, have one office within the church pulled out. Um, everyone's bearing their own load, everyone's bearing, or carrying their own load, everyone's bearing with one another. And we come to verse 6, says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And we have Paul very quickly touching on one aspect, one office within the ministry gamut of the church, and then moving this into really a philosophy that should be present within the church. And so he's going to take one specific example, and then he's going to broaden it out into all um, that we are engaged with within the church and even without the ch- outside of the church. And so he begins by that office of the teacher. And the, the indication here is when we talk about sharing all good things with him who teaches uh, is most often reference to material things. I don't think it is completely limited there. But it's that whole idea that we are going to recognize that there is, there is significant value and necessity for good teaching in the church. Um, we can do a lot of things right, but without good quality biblical teaching, spirit-filled and led, um, no matter how good a heart a church may have, um, their strength and their fortitude, their ability to stand fast, is largely dependent upon having good teachers. I think one of the best examples of this is what Pastor Lossing encountered um, that he shared with us uh, when his last year, I believe, or maybe two times ago, where they had, many years ago, had started some churches in a pretty remote area. Remember him sharing that testimony? And... um, for some reason or another, they established those churches, got some pastors, and then those churches became a little isolated. They, they uh, had other people come in there and it claimed to be something and uh, led the churches into some strange doctrines. Um, and, uh, and it was just a mishmash of things. Some of it was, was, um, was from some cults. Some of it was from the Pentecostal movement. So they just got exposed to a lot of different stuff. And so um, they went on a trip and just showed up there. And, and by invitation, apparently, someone in the church invited them to come out again. Um, the, and checking back in with them, they find that they're in this horrible condition doctrinally. Uh, even though the church seemed to have a, a heart that wanted to know the truth, but they, but they had been isolated from good teachers and had poor teachers come in, and they were confused and so and uh, at, at odds, and there was a lot of error there. And so they came in where you have, and they started teaching the Word. And, and that was the church that said, we want to learn Greek and Hebrew. 
We want to learn those languages to help us. And so here he is teaching Hebrew. Um, that's his specialty, speak to this remote group of church, to the, all the people. You know, and so that we can have the tools to guard ourselves. So once we eliminate teaching, even if we have the heart that we want to please God, want to serve God, when we have teachers come in that are abusive to God's word, that have alternative interests and perspectives that are not biblical, not godly, um, we're in trouble. And so Paul recognizes and wants the church to recognize that, listen, you've got these Judaizers coming in, and they're a threat. They're a real threat to the church. And therefore, um, recognize that while I was there, I was a faithful teacher. You have had some other faithful teachers there in your midst, and you need to honor them. And um, while these others are claiming your allegiance, these who are faithfully teaching the word, who will likely never demand anything from you. And this is the, the, the strange tension of these passages, um, is that we find many passages of Paul's where it is evident that if a man comes in expecting a certain salary, calling for a certain amount of money, um, requiring the certain gift that uh, you are to be suspicious of him. It's just right there. Um, that that is, puts a big question mark over his character, the nature of his ministry, his motives. So Paul is always willing to come free of charge. He's willing to pay his own way. He's willing to do all that. Um, but we also find that he is ready to receive anything that people give him. And we find that Philippians where he says, no other church was willing to share with me, but you guys, and you guys have shared repeatedly with me, and that's something to your account in heaven. And we're going to talk about that here very shortly. And so we have this tension where we have these instructions to the church, make sure you take care and honor, even in a physical way, those who are ministering the word to you, um, but then we also have the warning to those who are ministering the word that that can't be your motive. You can't be demanding that of people. You can't be demanding that, that I'll only preach if, dollar sign. And yes, I have turned down people who, have, who their agents, for lack of a better term, have called saying, well, we want to have so-and-so come to your church. And I was like, oh, what does he re- what does he require? Um, well, you have to have this. I was like, oh, you're done. Nope, thank you. You know, as soon as you say, as soon as money is part of the deal for you to come and minister here, the deal's off. You're just going to have to depend upon whether or not we are a generous church or not. Take that risk. Yes, it's a risk, but it is what we are called to. We are called to not be driven by that necessity. Um, And then we also have instructions like this to the church. It says, make sure that these men are taken care of. And so as a pastor, I come to this passage, much like Paul, it would be a lot easier. And in fact, um, these are one of the passages that we often have guest speakers handle. (laughs) Do you ever notice that? Guest speakers always love to come in and tell you how you should be treating your pastors. I, I think sometimes pastors ask them to do that. Um, so they can avoid having to do this. It is easier for me to tell another church, make sure you pay your guy. 
he, you know, if he's teaching the word, he's true, make sure you share with him and all good things um, as a sowing. Um, and certainly Paul here has that intent. But um, this is the instruction that we make sure that we are willing to recognize that there is spiritual benefit that we sow to the spiritual side with some physical things. And and that's really the perspective he wants us to have. We pick that up in verse 7 by saying, don't be deceived. Um, God's not mock. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And so you're going to spend your money on something. He said, wouldn't you rather spend your money, expend some of your resources to make sure you get good teaching and to honor those who are doing the teaching? And so while we, and, and there's a milieu all behind all of this instruction tonight um, that, that really doesn't necessarily apply to this congregation, but it has historically to Baptist churches. Um, I've been in deacons meetings where really the perspective was, you know, um, the Lord keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And uh, we got, it, that somehow it is the church's job to uh, make sure their pastor isn't motivated by money by keeping him poor, by not paying him. And again, uh, who are you preaching to? Okay. Um, every sermon on husbands, the wives listen. Every sermon on wives, the husbands listen. And the husbands go home and remind their wives of what, they never remind themselves of what, what they were. You ever notice that? And it's similarly here. Um, this is an instruction for the church. And it's simple for us to look at a pastor and point the finger and say, you shouldn't be a, a lover of money, you shouldn't be in it for the money, so we're not going to pay you any money. Well, that's you disobeying your part and while you're pointing the finger to make sure he obeys his part. And equally, we have pastors over here who instead of preaching to themselves are pointing the finger at the church, you're not paying me enough. You have responsibility. And so, um, again, we're called to each bear our own load. I think that's a great passage um, to come right before this instruction. Bear your load. And that means that I am going to be responsible to make sure that money is not the motive of ministry. As soon as I'm in it for the money or the paycheck, um, I need to re-examine whether I should be here at all or in the ministry in this fashion whatsoever. Similarly, if our church gets in the place that we are going to pinch pennies and not pay people what they are worth, if we are going to or devalue the teaching ministry of this church, whether in, in uh, pastoral salary or in uh, compensation for uh, honorariums, we call them, for guest speakers coming in, whether it be our, our missionary force out there, um, when we start um, putting the squeeze on them, uh, well, then now we're disobeying our part in this. And each one is responsible for themselves. And so the contention should be churches that want to pay their pastors more and pastors who won't let them. Not the other way around. That's what should be going on. That's the tension that should be happening. 
But he talks about this is a sowing, that what you sow, you're going to reap. And you have an opportunity to invest yourself uh, in your material things, in either things of value spiritually and eternally, or things that are temporal and ultimately will not satisfy you. That's what it boils down to. You can support spiritual food that you can carry with you the rest of your days and then into eternity. Or you can invest in physical food that lasts about how long? A few hours? Maybe a day? If you've trained your body to live off of less calories? What are you investing in? You can invest your time, and again, this is going to go back into our church, not just money and material things, invest your time into things of the flesh of this world that don't last, will not satisfy, don't bring happiness, or you can invest yourself fully in, the, in being taught the Word of God, and, and we, should re- we should pretty much be ashamed that we're only really teaching the Word of God one day a week. It really is shameful. Bible describes the early church, they met every day. And entertainment has supplanted our interests in being taught every day. Um, although s- I recognize that you're getting some things from other sources um, that are available to you, internet and radio and other media. But um, uh, we find this whole idea that you're investing in something with your time. You're investing in something with your material things. What do you expect to get out of it? You pour your energies into, your time into, your, into worldly pursuits, into things of this world, um, even into the media, um, you're not going to get any lasting benefit from it. You're going to reap of the flesh. And what does the flesh ultimately bring you? Um, corruption, it says in verse 8. He who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh reap corruption. It corrupts you. The more time you spend in the word, the more are in the world, the more like the world you will get. The more you invest of yourself and your property into the things of God, the more godly you will become. It's that simple. You spend more of your time in the world, you spend more of your time listening to them, being influenced by them, being surrounded by them, the more they will corrupt you. You'll be like them. The more I invest in the things of the Lord, including making sure I have godly teaching by making sure that this man is well taken care of enough that he is content to persist in teaching God's word um, and can do it, uh, the more it's going to benefit me. Not just today, not just by, but forever. It's going to benefit my Christian life. It's going to benefit my eternal life. Because it's going to move me to that unity of the knowledge of Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have this choice. And remember, the flesh and the spirit, he's been playing off of each other, whereas the flesh is the law and the spirit is Christ, his liberty. So what are you going to invest in? You invest in this world, you invest in your flesh, in the law, um, it's not going to bring anything but corruption. It all comes apart. When you put all of your hope in this world, you're going to be disappointed. 
Let me just share that. Um, if you, I'm going to pick on something because it doesn't affect me at all, because I hate these things, so I can preach at you instead of to you, um, because it doesn't touch me at all. All right, you ready? If you love cars, and you have all your hope in having a fancy, good, nice car or cars, um, I have to tell you something. Every car breaks down. And my family, all my kids know that I hate cars. They are a necessary evil. I call them money pits because that's all they are. They just, they just constantly ask for money. You've got to maintain them. You've got to put fuel in them. And did you know every now and then you have to change their oil? Did you know that, Andre? Okay. Um, they wear out new tires. They're, they're just... And people spend exorbitant amounts of money. Uh, I saw a used truck for $60,000. I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's almost what I paid for my first house in Rio Rancho. That was a used truck. Granted, only a year and a half old. The guy bought a truck he couldn't afford. Had to sell it to get out from underneath it. It's going to corrupt. It's going to break down. It's going to get old. It's going to fail you. But you've invested so much in it, so much of your time, energy, interests, and money, and it won't last, and it will just keep sucking it out of you. Oh, that we would be interested and willing to pour that kind of excitement, energy, and time and resources into a vehicle for our Christian life. And that's what the teaching of the Word is. It doesn't mean you will grow. It is the vehicle by which you can grow. It can take you where you need to go. Oh, that we would invest ourselves in that. That we would say, I want to be in God's word. I want to be around God's people. I want to hear really good teaching. And, um, and I want, I'm willing to go distant and spend money to make sure that happens and to uh, invest in that and to share in that. I want to do as necessary. And, and I've seen you guys uh, drive up in new vehicles and everyone wants to come around and look. Oh, that we would have that kind of interest in new spiritual truth. Look what I discovered, and let's all get together. And you discovered this? Yeah, you know what? Every car you guys have driven into that everyone wants to look at is the same to me. It's got four wheels and an engine. A few doors and seats, and that's about it. And I'm not excited about it. I'm sorry. To me, it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to spend money on that, and it's not worth what you bought it for already because you've already driven it more than one mile. That's all I see. I don't see all the features and all that. I, I don't see it. Oh, then we would get together, and yes, you might say, well, that's a, you know, so what? They discovered a spiritual truth. I knew that already. Well, you know what a car looks like, but you have to go look at the new one, right? You know what a car looks like. And so someone comes in and says, look at the spiritual truth I got a hold of. You say, oh, it's about time. Is that what you say? No, you, you 
gather around it and you rehearse it and you look at it and you ooh and ah over it and say, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Isn't that pretty? That's what you do. But that's not our reaction to spiritual freshness and newness. This person newly discovered something that maybe is old hat to you, but they've newly discovered that and it's new to them and so they're excited about it and they want to share it and we kind of, eh. But boy, you drive up in a new car, we all got to get in there and get it. Oh, it smells, oh, it smells like a new car. Well, you can get that fragrance at the car wash. What are you investing in? What are you investing in your life? Cars will just fall apart. But teaching, that'll take you places. Spiritually, it'll take you places. You invest your time and energy into God's Word, it'll take you places. You invest your time and energy in walking in the Spirit, it'll take you places. You invest your time, your energy, your resources into your church, it will take you places. It's your choice. I think it is almost humorous, to me anyway, to see churches wringing their hands because they've invested themselves in the world and the world's let them down. They've been calling out the vote and calling out the vote and calling out the vote my entire adult life. We're going to save America by getting out the vote, going all the way back to the moral majority and Jerry Falwell. And now, what do I hear Christians saying? I don't even know who to vote for. I got bad and I got worse and I got even worse than that and I got worse over here. And I just kind of smiled. I was like, well, I guess that wasn't the solution, was it? And it never was. But the church invested itself in the systems of this world so heavily. I mean, I had pastors that admitted that they had not prepped for the sermon at all in their sermon. Why? Because they're out doing political campaigning. He didn't know it. The one particular one, Pastor up in Rio Rancho, his church was having an activity on a Saturday night and he did not attend. And his wife said he's been so busy with the political rallies in Santa Fe and things he didn't get to study enough. He didn't know that his wife told everybody that. So he got up Sunday morning and he said, well, um, that he had wished he should have just gone because he fell asleep. So what does that tell everybody in the church? He didn't invest anything in the sermon. His wife said he was doing political activism all week, so he couldn't go to the Saturday evening event with the church. He had to stay home, and he stayed home, then he said he fell asleep. So the church knew right there he invested zero into his sermon. Why? The church sowed to the flesh. We're going to fix this politically. You can't fix a nation politically. You just can't do it. Our responsibility is to sow to the Spirit. 
to pour our energy and resources into the gospel, into being trained in the truth of the word and securing ourselves to stand fast against error as it comes wave after wave of falsehood that comes that come down the pike in this country. Why were we so susceptible to it? Because we've been sowing in this flesh. And so we are told, don't grow weary in doing good. We will reap. Don't lose heart. There's a long season of growing. The harvest will come. And there will be evidence that some have reaped corruption and some have reaped everlasting life. Stick at it. Persist. I believe the word we like to use is be faithful. And so every chance you get, look at verse 10, every chance you get, as you have opportunity, when the opportunity arises, do good. Do what's right to everyone. Not just to the guy who's teaching you. Not just to um, the person that's, that's scratching your back. Do good to all, and especially to everyone in the church. Are they a priority in your life's decision-making? How will this influence the other people in my church? How can I care for them? How can I minister to them? What are they doing? Am I bearing my load in the church? Am I doing my part as I have opportunity? Because if you're not, be rest assured someone else is carrying their load and yours. Period. So we have a responsibility one to another. And this is our calling. And there is a finality. There is a, a accounting at the end of this. And I fear for many Christians who have just keep sowing to the flesh and sowing to the flesh and sowing to the flesh. They get all excited and thrilled and about things in this world. And I'm pretty sure my Bible is fairly descriptive that everything you're sowing to will burn with fire. And maybe you with it. If that's all you've been investing in. And so the evidence that you're walking in the Spirit is that you are sowing to the Spirit. You are investing yourself in spiritual things, activities. And that's why, I know I'm on a Sunday night, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, um, but that's why um, Sunday school and church and evening service are so valuable. Um, and really, honestly, um, that ain't much. Because if I go much over noon, if I go... Uh, over seven, if, I, if you get more than 45, 50 minutes of teaching, um, that isn't much of an investment on your part. And frankly, I don't know that I'm investing enough of God's word in you. I don't know that I have enough opportunities to. And so we 
need to lay hold of the ones we have with vigor and excitement and with the expectation of growth, knowing that there is something down the road of value. And our generation, my generation and following, have all had instant gratification. And the the scriptural promises are not instant gratification. They're just not there. We have been promised the end. We have been promised eternal life. We have been been promised a harvest. But we all want the harvest five minutes after we plant the seed. Doesn't work. The investment pays off over time. And any investment banker will tell you that if you want immediate results, you've got to take these huge risks and and uh, doesn't work, you know nine times out of ten people lose everything. No, the wise investor invests long term and knows that there's ups and downs along the way, and I don't give up because it's down. I recognize that it'll go up, and so I invest myself in the spiritual realm, knowing that in the end it goes way up, <laughs> the value skyrockets. When it matters, that's why we share in all good things with the one who teaches, and we are ready to do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith. It is an investment. And this, Paul develops more further in Philippians, where he talks about that you are putting into a heavenly account, that God keeps records of that. And I'm a big record keeper kind of guy. I know a lot of you are surprised by that maybe, um, but I am. And uh, I used to be a lot more interested in that than now, but um, God, through Paul, says it's not that Paul needs the gift. And maybe verse 17 is that tension from Paul's side. Of Philippians 4, 17, it says, Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You have an account. It's not Paul's accounting of you, it's God's account. Indeed, he says, I have all and abound. I am full. I am received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need. They invested in the promises, God will take care of you. I love everybody knows verse 19, right? My God shall supply all our needs according to his riches in, Christ, in glory by Christ Jesus. All got that verse. Oh yeah, my God will supply all my needs. And we forget, oh, that's based upon me investing myself in his work. The promise is to a church that invests itself in its preachers, in its ministries, invests itself in a sacrificial way to God. Not because the pastor seeks it, but because God requires it. And there's that balance. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word and for its truth, for its power. And Lord, we do um, pray you might show us where we have failed here and where we have put all of our joy and all of our 
desires after worldly things that don't last, that don't persist, that we enjoy for a short season and then are corrupted by it. And Lord, we pray that you might uh, convict us of it, that we might seek after spiritual things and invest ourselves with equal energy and time and joy in those things, that they might be our heart's desire, that we might long for them more than we long for a car, a house, a job, a bank account, a ranch, whatever. Lord, that we would long for you and the knowledge of you and ultimately presence with you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.